Hi there, Chris here. I own, write, narrate, and produce The Tall Guy with the Short Stories. It's a big job, but it's a labor of love. I have a passion for reading and writing, and with a voice like this, how could I not narrate as well? I also produce the show because I enjoy listening to new, fresh podcasts every week, and I know you do too. So, I'd like to say thank you for joining me on the Tall Guy with the Short Stories podcast. All episodes go together with each other, and I'd hate to have any part of the story spoiled for you, so if you missed the last episode, or any of the episodes, I'd like to invite you to go back and check out all the episodes I've released. You can find them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. If you're up to date with all the episodes, (laughs) buckle up, because here we go. A brand new episode of Thomas Tales on the Tall Guy with the Short Stories podcast. When last we left Thomas and friends, they had come to a pretty big decision. After Will had experienced some negative effects from using his magic, Smith had offered to contact one of his friends, who was a magic user. After Smith sent a letter to his friends, Thomas learned a lesson about patience as they waited for response. Will had stopped using magic so as to lessen the effects he was feeling. Z had taken Thomas to her dwelling and kissed his cheek twice. Brandon had decided that he would stick with his brother when Will decided to accept the training of Smith's friend, Lady Kate. As Smith and Will and Brand were all going to see the Lady Kate, Thomas and Z would follow them, all in one big group. Smith had instructed everyone to have their belongings together in two days' time, as that was when they would leave. He also cautioned them that the trip was likely dangerous, and to bring along any weapons they felt necessary and comfortable with. And so it was, two days later, Smith had driven a wagon with two horses up to the back entrance of the bakery. He got down from the wagon and went into the bakery to find all four of the young folks sitting there. The brothers had drawn, worried expressions on their faces. Z and Thomas looked excited. Z was sitting next to Thomas with what looked like two dozen arrows in front of her, and a bow that was well-used, well-worn, and well-cared for. The young woman was speaking to the three young men, explaining how to care for arrows and a bow. Everything must be kept dry, at all costs. A wet bowstring can snap on you at the worst possible time, and a snap bowstring can be dangerous. Not just the string and staves of the bow, but also the arrows. Here, she gestured at the glinting arrowheads laid in front of her. I've just spent an hour or so sharpening these. They are all razor sharp now, but to keep them from becoming rusty, I wrap them in a towel for storage. However, since we will be traveling and may need them, they'll go in my quiver. She began placing them carefully in a leather carrier that she had slung to her back. As the arrows stuck up just past her ear, she would have easy access to draw them during the trip. The two worried young men seemed to relax as they listened to Z, and Smith realized that this was the reason that Z had begun speaking about her arrows and bow. She was helping them to control their fear 
by giving them something to focus upon, other than the uncertainty of the trip and the unknown that awaited them. She had effectively given them a weapon against their anxieties. Smith cleared his throat, and all four of them looked up at him, the worry coming back to Brand and Will's eyes, while a sparkle of excitement touched Z and Thomas's faces. Have you all got what you're taking ready? asked the smith. It's time to start loading up, so bring what you're taking out to the wagon. We'll load up and move out as soon as we can. The four young folk began to stir, picking up their changes of clothes that they had rolled into individual packs, a pack for each. After they had slung them onto their backs, the weapons came next. Z had the knife the smith had given her belted onto her side, as well as the unstrung bow over her shoulder. Thomas had a pair of daggers he had made himself, belted on, and a slingshot that he had forgotten back at the jail. He'd had to go there early this morning to grab it, and its ammunition. Brand had fashioned himself a heavy cudgel from one of the particularly knotted-up logs they would have used for firewood. He had wrapped the handle of this cudgel in leather, reasoning that a fight would be a bad place to get a splinter from the heavy wooden weapon. And he had spent a bit of coin to procure a few pieces of thick, stiff leather to cover his shoulders. Will had a wooden staff, a bit taller than himself, and a few pouches upon his own belt that held some of the reagents he used for some of his spells. He had stocked up on the ingredients, but still hadn't used any magic since Smith cautioned him against it. They all began moving toward the door, and as Thomas passed through, he was followed by Z. Will came next, but paused at the doorway and looked back into the bakery. Brand mirrored his movements and then looked back at Will, eyes worried. It's the only home we've ever known, he said. I know, answered Will, and I'm afraid to leave it, but... He closed his mouth and looked down, searching for his next words. What is it? asked his older brother. Well... We haven't had the easiest of times in this place. What with Dad being the way he was, I've seen him beat you several times here, and he didn't spare me any torment either. Bran put his hand on his brother's shoulder and said, As long as we are together, I'm sure any place we call home will be a sight better than this place. Will nodded his agreeance, and the two strode purposefully out of the bakery. As they exited, Will drew up short. Brand almost bumped into him before he raised his head and saw why Will had stopped short. Greg, their father, was outside. He was looking at Smith, and Smith glared back at the big baker. I'm not here for trouble, explained the baker. I just thought I could see my boys. Will ground his teeth, and Brand stepped in front of him. Though the smith had already positioned himself between the old baker and the entrance to the bakery, Brand wanted to be sure his younger brother had all the protection they could afford him. Smith stayed standing between the baker and his sons, with Thomas on one side of him and Z on the other. You see them, began the big crafter. Will that be all, Greg? The baker hung his head and commented. Mm, looks like you're all about to leave. Out for the day, for supplies, he guessed. 
Brand moved to position himself next to the smith, on Tom's side, and spoke up. I'm glad you're here, old man. He lifted his head and thrust out his jaw. I don't know where you've been and I don't care so much, but I have an offer for you if you're willing to hear it. He then waited, silently, expecting a hot-tempered response from the old baker. Greg only cast his head to one side curiously and asked, What sort of offer? The big son of the baker explained, Well, we won't be back for a bit, but you used to run this bakery, which means you had some semblance of what it took even though Will and I did most of the work, especially when you'd been drinking. You can pay us to use the bakery. I'll think seriously about any offer you might make. Smith made an amused noise so quietly that Brand doubted his father had heard it. What say you, old man? The baker opened his mouth, ready with a rude response, but then he looked at the smith and tried to calm himself. I built this bakery, boy. And then he stared evenly at Brand. Aye, said the smith, and you did a right dandy job of losing it, through mismanagement and drunken foolery. These lads have brought success back to the bakery you lost. In my opinion, Brand is being quite generous allowing you to make an offer. Greg looked at Smith, then back at his eldest son. I've got a few gold stashed. Brand looked back at Will, and the younger son of Greg stepped forward, lifting his own head to reply to the offer of his father. Split your gold into three equal amounts. Brand and I get a third each. You keep the other third. All profits you earn from this place will also be split into threes. I expect we'll be back to collect periodically. And don't become lax with the records. I'll be checking them when we return. What say you, Greg? The baker's jaws worked furiously, and he took nearly a full minute to calm himself before he responded with one word. Agreed. Brand now stepped forward with his hand out, and Will did the same, each of them standing only a few feet from Smith. The old baker looked at their hands and responded, I don't have it with me. It'll take a quarter hour to go and collect what I've saved. Both boys looked to Smith in silent question. The burly crafter nodded once to them, and Brand said to his father, Make it quick, old man. The baker departed at once, muttering to himself, Thomas let out a low whistle when he was sure the baker was far enough away that he wouldn't hear. Lads, I've simply got to say, you both have some stones to you. He shook his head and smiled broadly. Not that I blame you at all. I feel like it's a right fair situation. He's got the chance to make of it, and you two have the chance to collect on it. Z tilted her head curiously and eyed the baker's sons. Then she eyed Thomas. Thomas... You have the sling. I'm quite certain you are the only one with stones. Smith began making choking noises and busied himself with a tack on the horses. Brand and Will began chuckling quietly as Tom's ears flamed red, the better to match his reddening face. What I mean is that, um, they've got, um, guts to do such a thing. Z looked at him quizzically. Then she smiled in a mischievous way. Then why did you say stones, when you mean guts? Her eyes 
bored into his, and Tom felt his face begin to heat all over again. Well, it's, um, I mean to say, they've got, um... Yes? Pressed the young woman. Go on. Her smile had become more and more mischievous as the Smith's apprentice struggled with explaining his euphemism. But he was saved by Smith, who called loudly. Load up, folks. Don't carry your packs. We'll put them in the wagon next to mine. We'll get underway as soon as Greg returns. Z watched Thomas as he breathed a sigh of relief and began to put his things in the wagon. She continued to smile at him as though she wouldn't soon let this rest. Will caught the look she was giving him and muttered to his brother. She's a quick one. I suspect Thomas will need his stones to complete that conversation. <laughs> at this, Brand began to chuckle again. He nodded at Will and started throwing their things into the back of the wagon. Aye, for a bit there it looked as though Tom had misplaced his stones. <laughs> they both burst out in chuckles and sputters that were not loud but still carried to Thomas. He gave them a squinty-eyed look, and they laughed even harder. Greg returned within the time limit he had foreseen and gave both of his sons a sack that looked a bit heavy and jingled. They both upended their pouches at the same time to count the coins that were inside. After they had done so, Will looked at Greg speculatively, and he said, You're sure there's the equal shares? Brand caught on a beat later and asked louder, Let's see your share, old man. We aren't going to start out this partnership without knowing you're on the up and up, like us. Greg's face soured, and he reached into his pocket to bring out his share. He upended his purse over his hand and immediately fished four more gold pieces out of his share and handed two to each of his sons. There, he grated. Now it's even. Brandon Will looked daggers at their father. Brand took in a breath to say something when Will put an elbow to his brother's ribs to silence him. Just to make sure we're all on the same page, be sure your records are correct, Greg. We've made friends in this place since you left, and they'll be watching you too. Greg's face twitched in surprise, and then he grunted and admitted, I suppose you have. I'll be careful to keep correct records. He then paused a moment and gave his boys a long look. Be, be safe in your travels, boys. I know I've been an ass, but all fathers care for their sons. Be, uh, be safe. He then turned on his heel and entered the bakery, closing the door quietly behind him. Smith made sure everyone's belongings were safe and secured on board the wagon. He waited till everyone had situated themselves comfortably. Then he quietly clucked to the horses and the wagon began to rumble over the road toward the future. Tom and Z were speaking excitedly about camping out and keeping watch and hunting for fresh meat as the trip got underway. Will and Brand were silent as they watched the only home they had ever known shrink slowly into the distance. Hey friends, Gritter here. On this podcast, I've made it a point to advertise for small businesses. To that end, I'm very excited to tell you about another product I've just been made aware of. 
Juniper and Willow Handmade Soaps, which you can find on Instagram at Juniper and Willow Boutique, all one word, is a small business out of Dallas, North Carolina. They heard about my podcast from Meech's Minis, and they asked if I might be able to advertise for them. I told them I'd love to, but would have to test the soap first. They graciously sent me a bar of soap entitled Zen, and the test shower was magical. A mystical aroma enshrouded me and calmed me as I bathed. Not only that, it cleansed me gently and completely. I felt clean and refreshed from the soap and the scent. You can also find them on Facebook at facebook.com backslash juniper and willow, and you can order at their website at https colon backslash backslash juniper dash and dash willow dot square dot site backslash. You owe it to yourself to give them a try. A wonderful bathing experience thanks to Juniper and Willow and their Zen handmade soap. Don't forget to tell them that the tall guy sent you. Hey folks, do yourself a favor, go to Etsy.com, click on the search bar, and type in M-E-A-C-H-S-M-I-N-I-S. Meech's Minis is a guy who will actually modify your minis. He'll paint your minis. He'll make them look fantastic. But don't take my word for it. Go on over to Etsy.com, click on the search bar, and type in M-E-A-C-H-S-M-I-N-I-S. You won't be sorry. Sir Matthew met with his father, the current steward of Angers Hall. The room was lit by candles, and there was the remains of a meal in front of them. Sir Andrew had been invited, as well as their respective wives. However, as the ladies were making preparations for healing and warding certain key points of the hall, they respectfully declined their invitations. Sir Matthew, however, sat next to his friend, Andrew. Their faces were dark with the tidings the storyteller had given them, and they both sat silently, deep in thought. Matthew was going over figures in his head. How many fighting men would show up? How many arrows could they count on having when the time came? The old smith, Neil, had begun making blades in earnest after they had delivered the news that attack was imminent. Indeed, he had hired two young men to help him with this task. The three of them, amidst much shouted direction and misheard questions, Old Neil couldn't hear too well anymore. They churned out blades every day, as well as arrowheads, bucklers, and breastplates. Sir Andrew was also deep in thought, although his thoughts were focused on shoring up the hall's defenses. He had already put a work detail on the main gates and paid the men with his own coin. Their instructions were to make the old gate as impenetrable as they could, and also to add spots in the city wall around the gate where archers could rain death down upon their foes. His current thought was an idea wherein they could pour boiling pitch down atop the men operating the battering ram he was certain would be used in the siege. Three large copper kettles, large enough to hold two men in fact, had been taken to the top of the gates. They had been mounted on swivels, situated so that the three could be poured either singly or in tandem down through a funnel-shaped hole directly atop the gates. The pitch had been his wife's idea, 
She had reasoned that the boiling liquid would be a deterrent. However, after some flames set the pitch alight, it would become nearly impossible for warriors to man the ram. The old steward had listened to these ideas while they ate, the old man in hearty hunger as the other two picked over their plates. Their stomachs had been soured by the thought of their possible failure and the subsequent death of the families that made Ingers Hall their home. After what seemed an hour of the old man eating, he pushed his plate from his setting and stood. Matthew, Sir Andrew, please don't mistake my appetite and silence as a sign that I am not taking this seriously. Quite the contrary. I've always felt that a man thinks better when his stomach is full and he is warm and comfortable. The steward began to pick at his teeth, and his steps took him to the large window that looked out over his domain. In the reflection from the glass, Matthew saw his father's face smile at the prosperous town that had sprung up around the hall his fathers had constructed. The old man took in a deep breath, and his face turned resolute. Now then, do business. With the words, his face had taken on a deadly serious look, and he turned to face Matthew and Andrew, a storm cloud over his features. It is good to see my son is taking his responsibility seriously. As it is good he's found a friend, here he nodded to Andrew, who will stand by his side, slinging death and destruction to the foes of their homes. His steps carried him back to the table where the meal had been held. A single servant had taken the plates of all three men, while another refilled their mugs with a dark brown ale. A battle of this nature is won in the hearts and minds of those fighting it. Here, his eyes seemed to pierce both men. The loss of heart and hope is a death sentence. What's worse, this loss spreads to those that follow you. You must not lose hope. You must guard your minds against such troubling thoughts, or if you do not, you will surely fail this place, its people, and our ancestors. The two men listening to their steward took this information in turn and began to steel their minds against the doubts that had been worming into their heads. Victory was not sure, by any means against an unknown, untested force, but the wisdom in the old man's words could not be gainsaid. They nodded in agreement with their steward and kept the horrible doubts at bay. For a man who'd seen over sixty summers, the steward was still strong, with broad shoulders and powerful limbs. It was obvious that his mind and body held back the advancing years as best they could. He worked endlessly around Inger's Hall, chopping wood, cleaning the stables, and working in the fields during harvest and planting times. He was also known to be an avid hunter. Indeed, there were few who could match his skills with a bow as evidenced by the mounted deer skulls upon the wall. Next to them were boar heads. Some truly great and fearsome beasts had fallen to the old man's skill. You say you've invited Smith back to the hall. I must admit, I'll be glad to see him. He's got a steady pair of hands and an able mind. And what of his companions, these four young folk? The coming storm will test them as well, I shouldn't wonder. Smith did always surround himself with extraordinary people. The steward looked to his son, and Andrew. He took up his tankard and pulled from the wooden mug. Matthew and Andrew followed his actions, and the three of them began to plan the defenses of the city in earnest. Meanwhile, the ladies Claire and Kate were about their own tasks. 
Claire had seen to the healing of the storyteller personally, while Kate looked on. Kate had serious magical skill, but she admitted she was not a match for the healing Claire had provided, and she hoped to pick up some tips on this craft. The ladies chatted idly after they had left the infirmary and were walking the tops of the walls, Kate keeping her eyes and mind on the places where her area spells would have the most devastating effects, Claire keeping her attentions on the inside of the walls, where would be the best places to care for those that would inevitably be injured during the defense of Angers Hall. Although their attentions were split, they never stopped their banter. The ladies were very sharp of mind and could carry on conversation and battle planning simultaneously. Their husbands never did learn how they could do such a thing. Lady Clare had asked her counterpart why the smith was bringing the four young folk along with him. A battle was no place for children, after all, and Kate had answered that magic had found a home in one of the young, and as he had no instruction, it was slowly poisoning his mind. She had offered her help, seeing as her own awakening to magic was less than agreeable. When Kate had come into her magic, she was alone. Her family had been either killed or scattered. To this day, she knew not what had become of them. But she had begun feeling strange, violent thoughts, and when a few of the Hall's children had began taunting her, as some children can be truly cruel, she had lashed out with her magic and seriously wounded one of the children. Kate had been taken into custody and scheduled for a criminal trial, but as she waited in the prison of the Hall, a wild chance seemed to sprout. She had been taken out in shackles for her daily exercise, and as she ran about the yard of the prison, the steward had been walking by on his way to some place or another, and took note of the young girl. Something seemed to pass over his features as he watched her in the prison yard and began speaking quietly to the jailer who had charge over the young Kate. Subsequently, the jailer had called the girl over and introduced her to the steward. Kate had no idea who the man was at the time, but she would soon learn. He had spoken to her about seemingly unconnected topics, the way she felt after she had attacked, the way she missed her family, and so on and so forth. After a quarter hour, the steward had held out his hand to shake the young Kate's own hand, and he departed, the day returning to the normal boring life in custody. But the next day he came back, and spoke with her for even longer, and the next day. It became their practice to speak every day for the next week, for about twenty to twenty-five minutes every day while the young Kate stretched her legs. And so it was that after their first week of knowing each other, the steward had taken her from the jail and brought her by wagon to a clearing in the woods. There they met an old gnarled man, and the steward bade Kate to wait in the wagon while he went to speak to the bent old man. When they had spoken for a few moments, the old man barked out a laugh and looked to Kate in the wagon. He pointed at her and began laughing again, and Kate felt her anger begin to rise. Who was this old fool, laughing rudely for no reason whatsoever? How dare he laugh so at a child? How dare he cast such rudeness in her direction, even before meeting her? She found herself reaching for her magic without thinking. It wasn't till after she had begun to cast a hateful energy at the man that he made a strange gesture with his arms and fingers, and the girl's stomach had begun to ache horribly. So badly, in fact, that she was unable to continue looking or casting at the malformed old man. And then the strangest thing happened. The old man hollered at her, calling her by name, and bidding she cease her magic at once, if she wanted to live. 
The young Kate was astounded. How had the old man known she was working magic against him? How had he seemed to turn her power back upon herself? The steward returned to the wagon and bid Kate to hop off. This would be her home until she either learned to control her magic, or the old man had killed her, as the lost cause the village seemed to think she was. Four long years she stayed with the old man, learning about control and the consequences of her actions. He was a harsh master, but the girl had to admit he did teach her how to control her magic. After her control began to strengthen, he even taught her more applications of the magic. She had a quick mind and took in all the lessons he had taught her, but it wasn't what anyone would ever think of as easy. Coming back into the present moment, Lady Kate's heart went out to the young man known as Will. As soon as she had read the response from Smith, she had vowed to teach the young man more gently than her own master had taught her. Angers Hall began their preparations. Thomas, the Smith, Z, and the boys began their journey for Angers Hall. Be sure to tune in next week to find out what happens on Thomas Tales on the Tall Guy with the Short Stories podcast.